Raised the Jolly Roger with a slick double play. And oh, what a stop, Hayes! There's one! Oh, zip, zap, kazoo! The Buckos just turned two! Ground ball, left side, picked. Oh, Castillo, a pretty play on the first, and a double play! In between hop, and now throwing toward third base, a pick by Hayes! Oh, my goodness, what a play! Key Brian Hayes and Michael Chavis turn it into a double play! Welcome to episode 40 of the 412 Double Play Podcast. Baseball season officially kicks off next week. I am your host, Michael Castrigano. Joining me, as usual, my co-host, Ed Wassel. Later on this episode, we will be welcoming our special guest, Corey Geiger, beat reporter for the Altoona Mirror, covering the curve in Altoona since 1999. Uh, He'll be talking about the curve, players to look for, players that will be uh, potentially moving up this season, but Ed, let's uh, let's jump into pirate stuff. How are you doing today? Doing good. I'm a little little tired. Had a little bit of a drive today, but a little bit of a drive. We just hung out for my son's birthday earlier today. First time we've seen each other in a while, three and a half years since his the baby shower. I think was the yeah. last time we were in person. So yeah, yeah, a little over three years. That was fun. Hopefully we'll be hanging out again for maybe a Pirates game this season. I don't know. But let's check out the roster roundup news this week. We had more cuts from camp. Right-handed pitcher Mike Burrows, catcher Andy Rodriguez, right-handed pitcher Colin Selby, infielder Jared Triolo, outfielder Ryan Valade, and outfielder Cal Mitchell, all option to Indy. Pirates also reassigned right-handed pitcher Wei Che Huang, left-handed pitcher Caleb uh, Smith, Right-handed pitcher Nate Webb and infielder Nick Gonzalez to minor league camp. Probably going to have some more cuts this upcoming week as they're getting ready to cut that number down to 26. Uh, We did welcome back some of the WBC players whose countries were eliminated from competition. We'll talk more about the WBC in a little bit. But, Ed, what are your thoughts on the cuts made so far? Uh, We're getting down to the end of spring training. These cuts are kind of... You, you know they're coming at this point. Guys that have no chance of making the uh, the opening day roster. So I'm fine well, with all these cuts. I mean, this most of the guys who were cut and sent down to Indy, actually all of those guys are 40-man options. The first four, Burroughs, Indy, Selby, and Triolo, recently added to the 40-man this offseason, needed to be sent down to... Indianapolis by the 15th because if they get injured, they start accruing service time. And um, it's a whole process with that, that I hadn't found out about until this year, but Cal Mitchell and Valade technically were options as outfielders coming into camp. Caleb Smith, uh, left-handed pitcher potentially could have been contending for a bullpen spot. The other ones, I guess weren't, Likely Triolo, if he had a strong spring, could have potentially been in the mix right. for that. I but. think Triolo was probably was a name we were talking about for the past month or so that we thought could have made it as you know utility guy. Yeah, but he just had a poor spring, so yeah, did not happen. And then I'm sure we'll have much much more cuts to talk about this time next week. So let's look at our weekly recap. No games on Monday, but split squad Tuesday at home against the Orioles. Rich Hill struggled five runs off six hits in three innings. Michael Burrows looked good again. Two shutout frames of relief with a walk and three strikeouts. Endy, two for two in the game. Bat is clearly ready. Uh, For the other game against Minnesota, Kyle Nicholas got the start. 2.2 innings, two hits, one run, one walk, one strikeout. Not too bad. CSN was the big story as he hit a bullet out of the park for his first official home run of the spring. Going to mention him again later, I'm sure. 
Wednesday against Blue Jays and Brubaker on the bump. Still can't get out of his own head. Couple of very nice frames, but ended up surrendering four runs over four and a third innings of work. Four hits, one walk, five strikeouts. Angel Perdomo was sharp, striking out all three batters he faced uh, in one inning of work. Connor Joe went three for three, two doubles. Swaggerty, Travis Swaggerty had a hard single in his only plate appearance. Uh, Thursday against the Yankees started off rough on the scoreboard, but Johan Oviedo had a solid start. 3.1 innings, two hits, one run, three strikeouts. He did walk three, all of which came in the same inning. Walks have been a problem for him in the past. I will say that I believe all three came on full counts. I'm not positive. I'll have to look back into that. But uh, he it was just missing on those ball fours. Drew Maggie went two for four with a home run. Miguel Andujar, surprisingly, has been hitting the ball hard. He got two doubles in the game. Carter Bins catching that uh, second half of the game had two doubles. Uh, the bats really showed up. Ball was flying off the off the bats that game. Friday, back home against the Rays, Osvaldo Bedeau, the forgotten starter for Indianapolis Indians, put on a clinic. Two hitless innings, one walk, four strikeouts. Set the tone for pitching as we had Chase DeYoung follow with one inning, no hits, two strikeouts. Perdomo, one inning, one hit, three strikeouts. Dari Moretta, one inning, one hit, two strikeouts. Dan Zamora, one inning, no hits, one strikeout. Yuri De Los Santos, one inning, one hit, two strikeouts. And Cody Bolton, two innings, no hits, two strikeouts. So a very complete pitching performance for a number of guys. For the offense, G-Man Choi hit his first home run with the club against his former team, no less. Mason Martin hit a towering shot over the batter's eye in center. And Smith and Jigba hit another home run on the week. Saturday at home against the Twins, Key Brian Hayes got a two-run shot. Swaggerty hit a solo bomb. Smith and Jigba had a laser double to right. And this is on top of Mitch Keller, fresh off finding out he's an opening day starter, going 4.2 innings of three hit, one run ball, no walks, seven strikeouts. I believe he currently has 20 strikeouts to just one walk so far this spring. And then finally, Sunday, not a great day overall, not a great start from Vince Velasquez. He gave up seven runs, four innings. Offense didn't get anything going. Ronza Contreras did pitch three scoreless innings of relief, three hits, no walks, four strikeouts. First game back from World Baseball Classic, where he performed very well. It's nice to see from him. And that wraps it up for the week. So, uh, okay, so let's talk through. The Pirates did win three games in a row this week. We're not, like, really getting into wins and losses too much because it's not... You're not going with your full squad every game, and your opponents aren't going with their full squad every game. How much do you take with like team performance over individual performance in these games. <clears throat> what do you mean? As far as just having like a complete game from your team? Like you, like you mentioned, uh, go back quick. The game with probably the best pitching we've seen this spring, you know, we, it seemed like was... everybody was throwing, had strikeouts in that game. Just, yeah, overall, if, like, hitting well can be contagious, if pitching well can be contagious, if this is just guys who are working on their own stuff and happen to be gelling in the right moment, because we haven't had a game yet where there's an opening day starting lineup on the on the card. We're pretty, pretty close. We've been close, but I don't think that we've had, like, our straight nine yet. Yeah, I agree. So let's look at a number of outstanding issues. Now we have an interesting situation with the outfield. I wrote about it the other day on inside the Bucks basement right now. Reynolds is a guarantee for opening day. Kutch likely in the mix though. Who knows how much outfield he really plays. Sawinski likely there too, but he hasn't exactly been scorching this spring. And then you have Connor Joe, who has been pretty solid. Um, some steals, some doubles. Swaggerty, maybe the hottest player on the team, offensively speaking at least. CSN, arguably right there with Swags, because he had a fire week, a ton of extra base hits. So I want to pose this question to you. If the season started today, and you have four or five outfield spots with DH, giving guys time off, whatever, who are you taking to fill those outfield spots? <clears throat> All right. So 
everyone's going to agree Reynolds would be a lock there. Okay. Uh, along with Kutch, like you had mentioned, not sure exactly how much outfield he's going to play, but with DH and whatnot. I'm going to have what I want to call an unpopular opinion. Because Mason I would Martin. have... <laughs> yes, Mason Martin. <laughs> uh, I, I would have Swaggerty in that mix, CSN, and Joe. I would actually leave Sawinski out at this point. I don't think that's an unpopular opinion. No. I think that Sawinski... A, a group of fans, I'm sure it will be. I'm sure. I think Sawinski still has some stuff to work on. He's changed his stance completely this spring, and he's still trying to get a feel for it. Um, he, He's still striking out a ton. He's he's not... I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to say about Sawinski. I haven't been able to, like, really watch his at-bats that much, but I, I feel like CSN and Swags have easily leapfrogged him. So if you say, okay, Kutch is DHing and we're face or you know, is on the bench and we're facing a, a right-handed hitter, you put Swags in center, Reynolds in left, and CSN in right, that's a really good outfield. Yeah, there's a lot of speed, a lot of athleticism. And then Joe, you know, if they're gonna be doing platoon situations, spot starts, he's better against left-handed hitting or left-handed pitching, excuse me. And Kutch as well you know, could handle those corner spots. But, like, as of right now, and it's hard, to, and that that's, goes back to, like, how much can you really gauge from spring training because it is a small sample size, and we're all trying to figure that out. Last year, Diego Castillo had a great spring, came into the season, and, and fell apart because if you're hitting against these quad-A guys or guys who are working on stuff, and then you go into the season thinking that's going to continue without changing anything. It's kind of a, a wake-up call when that doesn't quite happen. Right. And it even he even started the season out okay. But, you know, I, I think pitchers figured him out fairly quickly. Yeah. Now, going back to the infield on this, Hayes has been killing it. Thumb problem seems not to be a lingering issue as he's still hitting the ball very hard. Had another home run today. Or, excuse me, yesterday. Um, or du- It was a... Was it a double? Had a double yesterday, I think. He's still hitting the ha- ball hard. Cruz looks better. Uh, strikeout's still kind of a concern, but he's, I think, having a better approach at the plate overall. Choi looks good over at first base, defensively at least. Starting to come around with the bat. Santana, a bit of a slow start in the box. Injury concern the other day. Doesn't seem like that's going to be a lingering problem. He hurt his knee, diving for a ball. But he's almost 37. I mean, these these kind of things, you know, I'm almost 35. And if I sit a little bit wrong, I'm icing my back for days. So I, I can't imagine doing that at almost 37. He's not going to be playing every day, but he could still get solid reps at first base. But like, then that's it. If we look at second base, Shelty said coming into spring, there would be competition there and it wouldn't be given to anyone. I think a lot of us had assumed that Castro would be taking it. And he hasn't looked good this spring. Bay was his competition. He hasn't really looked good. We have some NRI guys, Drew Maggie, Chris Owings, who have both performed very well these, this spring. Do either of these guys leapfrog Bay and Castro? Uh, I mean, it it wouldn't necessarily hurt if they did leapfrog him because, like you had mentioned, Bay and Ca- neither Bay or Castro have proved themselves this spring. Like no one stood out to be like, you know, that's that's my job, and. I'm fine with one or both of them getting some extra reps down at AAA to, you know, really fine tune whatever it is that that's slowing them down right now. I mean, that could just be, you know, you and I mentioned a lot. Some players are just slow starters. Not necessarily what you want, but right. if you're to start out slow, 
start out slow in AAA, and then when you get hot, we can bring you back up. Yeah, Castro's actually had the most at-bats of anyone on the team. As of right now, 38 at-bats in 13 games, and he has a 526 OPS. Not ideal there. Bay is, I think, 10th with 25 at-bats, and he has a an identical 526 OPS. Coin flip. But this goes back to what we were saying, spring training, grain of salt for guys playing well, grain of salt for guys not playing well. It, it's really tough to decipher. It's pretty much just like looking at their approach and how comfortable they look with regards to hitting, fielding, throwing, running, stealing bases, and what kind of value they can provide to the team in that respect. Right. So uh, who do you see at second base to start the season based on the options we have right now? My gut tells me it will most likely be Castro. But I won't be surprised if it's Owings or Maggie. Yeah, I see them as like sort of super utility players. But I, I think long term Castro might be a super utility player. And if he doesn't improve, he might not even be that. So I don't yeah. know. So let's pivot quick to pitching because we got a lot more to cover still. We have a ton of candidates for the bullpen. Who knows how they decide to align all that, but currently just the one southpaw in the pen. That's Rule 5 pick, Jose Hernandez. And he's been excellent outside of one poor outing, but certainly not a sure thing. He hasn't pitched above double A. If they are looking to add in another lefty to replace Harlan Garcia for however long he ends up on the shelf, who of the options available do you think they go with? Perdomo, Zamora, Zastrinsky, Caleb Smith obviously recently uh, sent back to minor league camp, so seems to not be in the mix, but he was having a poor spring. Uh, Any thoughts on those guys? Uh, As far as internal options go, i probably lean towards Perdomo. I know you're quite the fan of him. Am I? (laughs) (laughs) You know, you like how he's only five foot eight and (laughs) (laughs) he just has really good perceived velocity because he's so big. He's halfway to the plate before he releases the ball. You know, you imagine a guy like Jose Altuve trying to do that from the pitcher's mound. For someone short like that, I'm not taking a shot at recently injured Altuve. But yeah, I I think they're they're going to have to go with somebody. It's possible that they elect not to, and that's how they make the six man rotation. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of questions going into the the season that. They've only got, what, a week and a half left to sort through. Yeah. I mean, it's really going to depend on how serious uh, Garcia's injury is. I believe I read he has some sort of nerve damage that they're going to look further into. I mean, there is a potential with all the talent we have in the farm system to make a trade for, you know, a left-handed pitcher that could stick around for a while. So... And that was the thought. And then when they ended up trading for Matthias a week and a half ago, everyone was like, well, that's not filling a need. He also could potentially be in play for the second base spot. Yes, this is true. So, like I said, lots of questions. All right, so let's talk World Baseball Classic. So we're recording this on Sunday. We don't know the results of the Cuba-United States game. It's been an exciting classic. A lot of drama Friday night in the Puerto Rico-Mexico match. Mexico coming back to win after being down 4 nothing early. And then Saturday, U.S. came back against Venezuela behind an eighth-inning Grand Slam by Trey Turner. A lot of excitement. The uh, audience exploded with that one. Uh, David Bednar, obviously, still with the U.S. team. He pitched Saturday, so should not be pitching in the game against Cuba. He is the last Pirates player remaining in the tournament. Uh, I think that there are only... U.S., Cuba, Mexico, Japan. Who am I missing? I think there's a fifth team in there. But 
Uh, Ed, have you been following the tournament? Not as much as I would like to. It's a tough time. The games are all over the place as far as time goes. Yep. A uh, bit busy schedule with work and kids and stuff. So I try to look at the recaps, but I'm not not digging too deep into it. Yeah, it's exciting to see what's been going on that U.S. has been able to advance as far as they have, trying to defend the 2017 title. It was looking and, a little uh, shaky getting... for the U.S. there. Yeah, 100 percent. That was that was quite the comeback. So I mean, they definitely didn't like they're not dominating like a lot of people thought was potential. But the Dominican Republic, who everyone was like, OK, they're going to be the team to beat. That, yeah, they were like, this is the most outstanding lineup anyone's ever put out there. And it was like <laughs> they, they uh, got eliminated before uh, <laughs> the playoffs of, or whatever this is. Um, yeah, no, but uh, Roante Contreras and Luis Ortiz both pitched in the competition for DR. They both had scoreless outings. But I think it's a really good experience for the players because they're playing they're competing against this competition that they otherwise wouldn't get to guys from, you know, Czech Republic. Like we talked about previously, Japan, Puerto Rico, the DR, Canada, Great Britain, and, and their different uh, affiliate nations. It's a really fun thing to get to see, to get for them to get to experience. And I feel like it's a whole different level of competition. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's competition you're not really going to see anywhere else, really. I mean, yep. especially when you're playing, you know, not that everyone got the, wasn't a round robin where you played everybody, but like we just did mention that DR team, like that is, that's an all-star team. <laughs> like no, no doubt about it. So if you're, yeah. you know, an up and coming pitcher, whether you're, you know, a high A or a double A player, you're really testing your stuff at that point. I agree. And we are back with our guest this week, talk show hosts with ESPN Radio for Altoona and State College, Penn State beat writer with DK Pittsburgh Sports, and sports writer for the Altoona Mirror, covering the curve since 1999. Longest time any one beat writer has covered a single team. Uh, Corey Geiger, Corey, thank you for jumping on with us. Did I get everything right here? Miss anything? That's the longest dadgum introduction of some <laughs> of an insignificant sports writer. I, I basically do all kinds of little bitty things and throw it all together and try to call it a job. Well, I know right now you've been covering like March Madness, the stuff going on Penn State. Uh, I believe they they're they're already eliminated, and then we just saw Pitt get eliminated. That's our team, but um, yeah. What kind of stuff do you uh, cover? With regards to pretty much all of that, everything with Altoona and State College? My primary beat is Penn State football, and then I've covered the Altoona curve for 25 years. So, uh, um, and then anything else that I'm a columnist, radio talk show host. So, anything that goes on in central Pennsylvania is kind of, kind of fair game for me. Penn State wrestling, Penn State basketball, any of that stuff. All right. Well, lots of fun stuff going on and lots of fun stuff in Altoona. I do want to start with some news that dropped this past week. Dario Lopez out for the season, uh, dislocated right kneecap. I know he was in Greensboro all of last year, so I don't know what your level of intel is on him, but he was slated to start at Altoona, rising prospect on a lot of uh, different lists this offseason, including my own. So I was disappointed to hear about the season-ending injury. What can you tell us about him and his situation, if anything? Well, I don't really have any information on his injury. He is going to miss the season, and that is unfortunate. But he's still very young. What is he? Twenty years old. I mean, he's he's still very just turned twenty or twenty one in February. Um, so, look, if you're going to have an injury like that, you want to do it younger so you, your body has time to come back and everything. But it's a knee injury. It's uh, you always worry about those kinds of things because they impact all kinds of things that you do with your legs, coming back, hitting, running, feel everything. I mean, knees knees can be tricky. So hopefully the kid will be okay. Good power hitter. I was looking forward to seeing him here, um, but it's just going to have to wait a year. Yeah, that, that makes the uh, three of us, I think. It definitely got a lot of power. Uh, has been playing some middle infield, probably either second or third base because he's kind of filled out a lot. 
but talking through some of the players that you saw in Altoona last year, Matt Gorski, Malcolm Nunez, Andy Rodriguez, uh, Nick Gonzalez, Leo Verpaguero, talented team on offense in 22. And now we'll get into the pitching in a little bit, but who did you like the most from that team who may or may not still be with the team this this upcoming season? Well, this won't come as any surprise, but Indy Rodriguez came here and was just fantastic. I mean, he was good at Greensboro, uh, and then he comes up here and he has 356 uh, in, what, 31 games. Uh, he's now the Pirates' number one prospect. I will admit I didn't quite necessarily see that level of upside. You don't think somebody's going to come in and hit 356 with an 1120 OPS over the course of his first month in double a um, that's, I mean, that's extremely, extremely impressive. Uh, so he, he, he's first and foremost on the list. You know, I really like, I really was disappointed. We didn't get to see more of Matt Gorski. He suffered the injury and missed a lot of time. Mm-hmm. You know, he just such a powerful bat. And uh, I, you know, I was, he came up here and hit six homers in uh, what, 35, 40 games or so. Um, and, and, you know, that it's always disappointing. It's a non-contact injury. I was actually behind the third base uh, dugout during the game when he got hurt. I like to walk around the ballpark here now and talk yeah. to people. Uh, and I was, I, I watched him walk, you know, kind of limping into third base and you're like, Whoa, that's really weird. You just never see something like that with a guy limping into third and he ends up getting hurt and, has to miss a lot of time. That was unfortunate because he was a guy I wanted to see more of. And then obviously Henry, Henry Davis. I'm not sure we really ever got to see the real Henry Davis here. Uh, he got hit, what, 427 times by pitches Something last like year. Yeah. Uh, it was just <laughs> two just or three ridiculous. times in that bat. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. I mean, I, maybe we can talk some more about Henry later on, but uh, to get hit that many times is just almost unbelievable in baseball. It, it, you almost think, well, what's this guy doing to get hit or else are the baseball gods just trying to just trying to plunk him all the time? I, I don't know. Like he does have he is kind of close to the plate when he's at bat. And the big thing was and I, I read this in some articles this past offseason in college, his coaches wouldn't really be like encouraging him to move off the plate to try to avoid the ball coming in. So he's like, so I just stand in there and take it. And so he had that wrist fracture, I think it was like April of last year, maybe like two or three weeks into the season. And so that it really kind of upset his first real season with the team. And they're trying to fast track him. So let's stay on Davis for a second, because we have a number of players who potentially could be repeating the year in Altoona due to the backlog, uh, pitching, outfield. Um, what guys do you foresee starting in double a so davis I'm, i would assume is one of those potentially if andy's going to be the starting catcher at triple a which is how it's looking right now okay i'm gonna give you a really long-winded old man answer on this okay love it go for it i think they got a hell of a lot of guys that need to come back here okay okay now i've covered minor league baseball since 1999 and it used to be back in my day get off my lawn <laughs> you kids um it used to be you actually had to prove a whole hell of a lot to get out of double A. Uh, that's not really the way minor league baseball works anymore. Um, that's certainly not the way the Pirates work anymore. They're ready to get guys up. They're ready to get them up there and start their contract contract clocks and so they can get them signed to a deal, take advantage of the arbitration. There's all kinds of business reasons. But I, I've covered the curve a long time, guys. It was nothing for guys to be here two, three years. Two, three years. Jared Hughes, a former pitcher, was here for parts of four seasons. Ended up pitching close to a decade in the major leagues. John Grabo was here for parts of four seasons. So when you ask me who should come back, I'll give you a list of 20 guys. Okay? That's not realistic, though. Absolutely, Henry Davis has to come back. To me, Leover Pagaro's got to come back. I mean, I think Leover Pagaro. No, 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 hang on. No, no, no. Listen to what I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm not saying the over Pagaro will be back. I'm right. saying I'm saying that in the history of minor league baseball, the over Pagaro would have come back. The over Pagaro got to feel a really good start in Altoona. He ends up with a 692 OPS. He really struggled the second half. He's still got all kinds of defensive issues. If this were 10, 15 years ago, I would guarantee you he'd be back here for a second year because that's how minor league baseball used to be. 
And that's certainly how the Pirates used to be. But again, this is the old man in me saying that, because here, here's the thing, fellas. I think minor league baseball is incredibly important. I think taking your time and developing and getting a couple thousand at-bats is incredibly important. That's not why the way minor league baseball works anymore. It is less common for if they see potential in a player um, to start fast-tracking them. And I think it happens more for guys who have gone the college route because they are a little bit more developed. But um, Andy, international player, he's been kind of flown through. Luis Ortiz, we saw last year, he was pitching in Bradenton in 21 and just flew through the system. So uh, I agree that sometimes they do kind of fast-track these players. Maybe they're not ready for it. Uh, Puguero, I don't know what was going on last season with him. Is there anything specific that it looked like he was struggling with or working on the, that later half? I just think he struggled as a hitter. I mean, I, I want to give you guys a little bit of insight about me. I don't just think every one of these guys is going to be a future star. Uh, it, when you've covered the minor leagues for a long time, I've seen. 10 times more players fail than succeed. Okay. I'm, if you want to call me pessimistic, that's fine. But for every Andrew McCutcheon, we've had all kinds of Ian Snells and Chris Duffy's and Brad Eldred's and Ronnie Paulino's. I mean, I well, can, those I, guys all still made the majors. Yeah, they did. But <laughs> what's what, there's, there's a difference between making the majors and living up to potential. Right. And that's what we're talking about here. I mean, yep. there, there are a lot of guys that have come through here uh, through the pirate system for a long time that are supposed to be this. Uh, this is a podcast. You can't see it, but I'm doing the air quotes. They're <laughs> supposed to be this. Nick Gonzalez is supposed to be this. Henry Davis is supposed to be this. I'll sit flat out here and tell you on March 19th, 2023, there is every bit as good of a chance that Henry Davis will be a mediocre to below average major league player as there is that he will be an above average major league player. That's just how hard baseball is. That has nothing to do with Henry Davis specifically. I'm, I'm pointing out the numbers and the facts to you that all these guys, all these draft picks that we say they're going to be the next this, they're going to be the next that. I mean, Henry Davis hit 207 for the curve last year. Uh, I know he got hurt and I know he got hit by pitches a lot. But he hit 207 uh, with uh, I know. Look, I'm not I'm not going to just harp on batting average. It's not the most important thing. But he had a 703 OPS in 31 games. That's a guy that you want to be, you know, your starting catcher someday in the big leagues. So again, if you if you're following, if you're connecting the dots of what I'm saying, I'm not going to give you guys the kind of answers that you want. Of oh, this guy should go to AAA, and after a month he should go to the major leagues, and after two months in the big leagues he's going to be a star. Because I'm generally going to go the other way and say these guys need more time in the minor leagues because the more they get to the big leagues and fail and not know how to, how to overcome that adversity, that's why they end up struggling more so because they, they just have not been able to figure out how to do all these things in the minor leagues. Am I, am I, am, I'm not trying to be pessimistic here because you asked me about Pagaro, but I, I, I feel like as soon as I said Pagaro, you, you, you felt surprised by what I was saying. No, no, no. I just wanted more insight on it. I have dropped my expectations on Pagaro from this time last year because I felt like he's had a lot of over eagerness at the plate. I feel like he's super athletic, but we say the same thing, or the organization says the same thing about uh, Marcano as the super athletic guy, but it's not showing up at the plate. It's not really showing up in the field as him like nailing down a position. So, uh, and Paguero defensively is the same thing. He's, I, I've been telling pretty much anyone who will listen that if he moves to center field, that's a better long-term role for him because he can use his speed and not have to worry about, you know, throwing <laughs> off target. Here's the other side of all of this, though. He's 21 years old. True. 22. And, yeah, 22 now. He was, Last year, he was 21 in AA. And so, mm -hmm. as I'm going to go back to my old man thing here, 
you didn't get the double A at 21 for the most part throughout the history of minor league baseball. You, you just really didn't. Um, guys would not come. When I first started covering the curve, they had a bunch of 25 and 26 year olds. They would go sign 32 year old free agents for double A. Now, as ridiculous and arcane as that sounds, that's the way things used to be. Now times have changed. Again, they want to try to get these guys through as much as they possibly can. I, I don't really like bringing guys to double A so much at 21 years old. You know, I, I think that you, you can – what's wrong with taking an entire season in low A and then taking an entire season in high A and then taking an entire season in double A? And if you need to come back to double A for a second season, again, like a, like a Pagaro, I, I can absolutely sit here looking at all these numbers, make a case that Pagaro should come back to double A. Does that mean the Pirates will send him back here? No, I, I, I kind of doubt it. Um, but if you follow the gist of what I'm saying, the Pirates have lost 100 games for the past two years. Where are they going? Are they going to turn that around by fast-tracking Leova Pagaro as quickly as they can? Or do you let the guys get as much development time as possible and, 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 and then bring them all up at a time when maybe you feel like they're more ready? Yeah, this is becoming the over Paguero hour here. And I, I don't even it, know. <laughs> I just think he's a good example of what we're talking about here. I mean, you, I could use other examples of of younger guys that probably need more seasoning, but fans don't want to hear that. Fans want to hear when's this guy going to get to Pittsburgh. Right. right. And with that, it's like, you know, you get players like Soto who came up super young and just blew everybody away. And then, you know, everyone wants that player on their team. And, and you know how many guys, you know how many guys like that have existed in the history of Major League Baseball? Like seven. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. And, and and you know how many guys like that have have been? They've tried to move them up quickly and have failed. Like seven million. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. This is the hardest game in the world, and we're we're in this era now where these organizations are trying to get everybody to the big leagues. And I look, I get it. I understand the finances of the Pirates as well as anybody. They need guys to get there, to prove themselves, so that they can give them a contract when they're young and kind of gullible and buy out the arbitration years like they did with McCutcheon. McCutcheon probably left $50 million on the table when he signed his big deal, uh, six years, $50 million. He probably left $50 million on the table if he had waited a year or two. Okay, that's that's what the Pirates want to do. They want to get these hometown discount contracts by getting guys like Kebron Hayes to sign early. Okay, well, how do you do that? Well, you got to get them to the big leagues at 22 or 23 years old. You see what I'm saying? So it it all kind of backtracks from there. Yeah, no, I appreciate the honesty. I we don't need you sugarcoating it. You're the one who's there, who's seeing the players day in and day out, going into the clubhouse and being able to talk to them. So um, I, I'm okay with the candor. We're not, we're not a sugarcoat kind of show. We have well, prospects who we like more than others, but absolutely. And and you know, look, age is not the most important thing. Uh, readiness. I'm a big believer, a big big believer in failure in the minor leagues. If you don't fail in the minor leagues, and then all of a sudden the first time you've ever really faced that adversity is in the big leagues your chances of succeeding long-term, I think, are a lot slimmer because you've got to be able to overcome adversity at at other levels because if you're trying to overcome adversity when you're facing 98, 99 miles an hour every single night in the big leagues, it's harder to do. Yeah, so um, let's talk about the pitching. We have a number of guys who could be in the rotation, an Indy, Priester, uh, Michael Burrows, Luis Ortiz, who I mentioned earlier, Joan Oviedo, uh, Osvaldo Badeau, possibly Kyle Nicholas, Carmen Majinski. Some of the, these guys obviously were in Altoona last year. How does this overflow of pitching potentially impact and push back into the Altoona rotation? Now, this is a good problem to have. And by the way, in case you didn't read through my uh lines there i'm not as sold on a lot of these position players as maybe some other people so now the pitching is i did gather that yes uh (laughs) the pitching is a different story i think priester priester has the look of a guy that absolutely can be a legit guy 
Burroughs looked phenomenal for most of last year. And then, you know, again, that's the adversity that I'm talking about is you want to see him have to overcome those kinds of things. Those two guys, to me, of the guys we saw in Altoona last year uh, are definitely, you know, your high ceiling, uh, front of the rotation potential kind of guys. Priester, to me, more so than Burroughs. I think Burroughs has a really good future, but to me, Priester has a shot to be a number one or a number two. Uh, All right. and, and he did very well in Altoona. Uh, 287 ERA. The stuff played very, very well. I liked Kyle Nicholas. Nicholas, uh, uh, I'm looking at his numbers here. Hundred and what? Hundred something in uh, innings, uh, like 70 hits, I believe. If I'm, if I have the number right, that I was looking at a little bit earlier. So that's a guy. 71 hits, nine in 90, 90 innings. That's a guy. The, the stuff played well at the Double A level. Um, not a lot of just really hard contact on him. He was somebody. That, that really jumped out to me uh, for the curve last year. He'll, he'll be in AAA to start this year. Majinski, I don't know. I, I, I mean, why, why would you send that guy back? Why, why would I, you send Kyle Nicholas back unless he's just buried behind a bunch of guys in AAA? And that's the thing. I think that yep. because they have so many guys who, because of the backlog, they want to keep him stretched out as a starter, yep. he might end up being back in AA just because of that. It could be. Okay, so let me let me go back to what I was saying a little bit earlier about I think you promote guys whenever they're ready. Um, so you're going to look at maybe promoting a Leover Pagaro, who to me is not as ready for AAA as Kyle Nicholas is. But obviously sometimes the numbers game, and you, uh, you as you mentioned, you want to keep guys stretched out. Those, again, those are good problems to have from a yeah. pitcher standpoint. You If you're an organization and you've got You've got a backlog of guys that you need to send back to double A. Any organization would love to have that issue. Yeah. So I'm and I really like Nicholas. I, I think right now, if they continue what they did last season with a six man rotation, Priester, Burroughs, Ortiz, Oviedo, Bedeau seems like it five of those depending on if they go with a six-man rotation in pittsburgh to start the year and then either nicholas majinski or one of the other depth options but that, that leaves somebody to head back to altoona what are your thoughts on majinski as whether or not he can stay long term as a rotation arm yeah i i i don't i did not see enough of majinski last year uh he he Looked good at times, was really way too inconsistent at other times. More hits than innings pitched, uh, 40 walks uh, to 111 strikeouts. I, some of the numbers, some of the numbers you look at, you think, okay, this guy certainly needs more time in double A. And I would say just watching him pitch to me, he needs more time in double A. He was not um, as consistent, certainly. Uh, his, his, his ceiling here clearly was not what a, a Priester or a Burroughs was. So if you're, um, see, he's 20, he was 23 last year too. So I could yep. definitely see, hey, give him some more time here. But again, if the Pirates feel like, hey, this guy's 24, we got to find out more about him in AAA. Those are legitimate decisions once you get up to that age. Yeah, well, there's also concern uh, with Majinski as to whether or not he would be more impactful as a single inning relief pitcher and ed and i have discussed outside of the podcast whether or not his appearances in spring training where he's just gone one inning and been electric mm -hmm. is better proof in favor of making sure. him a reliever absolutely and those those are the kinds of discussions with pitchers that i'll be perfectly honest with you as a minor league beat writer for nearly 30 years can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they don't tell us shit about that stuff. It's not the worst we, swear we've had on the show. Never have. They don't never will. They don't. I'm not just talking about the pirates, just in general plans with pitchers, like mm -hmm. what you're talking about with Majinski. If the plan is to make him a reliever, they'll lie to us and tell us that he, they think he's going to be a starter right up until the day that he makes his first relief appearance and he never starts again. You know what I'm saying? That has been the case basically forever uh, in, in dealing with uh, 
with farm directors and dealing with even managers at the minor league level. And I've dealt with many, many, um, because I, I think they, they really try to keep all of that information close to the vest. So what you're saying about Majinski becoming a reliever. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. I didn't see that last year. He was a starter. So my only feeling on is to tell you that I, I, I think there's a lot more growth that he's got to make as a starter. Now, does that mean he could he couldn't come in and do a great job as a winning reliever? Absolutely, he could. Yep. Okay, so looking at some of the guys who could be moving up this year from Greensboro, um, we've got Jared Jones, obviously a pitcher to watch, Sean Sullivan, Justin Mize. Um, do you have any thoughts on those arms and what they could add to the curve? I've read a lot about Jared Jones. I, I followed his season last year a lot. I have not seen any of these guys pitch. And so uh, one one negative about being in double A is, uh, again, you hear all of this stuff. This guy could be the next this, and this guy could be the next that. Mm-hmm. And then they get here and they have five ERAs. And it's like, okay, well, uh, they're getting lit up left and right. And so, uh, but Jared Jones to me looks like a guy in, in reading about him, looking at all of his career numbers, everything every, he has, everything that you want uh, to come up here and be an effective starter. Uh, you know, again, you're just mentioning Majinski. We were told last year, oh, Majinski has a real bright future as a starter. And now here we are a year later and we're talking about a reliever. So <laughs> you see what I'm getting at? That That's why when I say they don't tell us shit about this stuff, it's also why I have a hard time believing some of the things they tell us as well. Yeah. And Jones, you guys had no idea you were getting this level of honesty. <laughs> no, because <it's not. laughs> when, you've, when you've covered the minor leagues for twenty-five years, that's not exactly a badge of honor. I'm a class four A writer, guys. I've been I've been stuck in double A for twenty-five years. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, but I've seen it all at this level. And what I what mm. I've truly learned to understand is you you really have to temper expectations. Um, we may talk a little bit of, of curve history here in, in a little bit because this is the curve's 25th season. Did you guys know that of the top 100 curve players of all time in double A, Andrew McCutcheon is not one of them? Oh, Andrew, as far as per- performances in Altoona, performance in double A, Andrew McCutcheon started 0 for 15. He was batting 176 in the middle of May. Mm-hmm. He was as lost as lost gets. He was from Florida. He couldn't handle the cold weather. I think he got sick in April. And then the second half of the season, he turned it on and had a, had a nice nice second half. But, but the point I'm trying to tell you is you have to take minor league uh, performance with a little bit of grain of salt because Andrew McCutcheon is a great example of that. Some guys come here and they don't necessarily perform as well as you think. And as soon as they leave, Andrew, Andrew tore it up in AAA as soon as he got up there in 2007. We never really saw that here in double A. And so, and then sometimes you have guys that tear it up here and then it just doesn't translate at the triple A or, or major league level. That's the challenge. And that's why, that's why projecting a baseball player is the hardest thing in the world to do probably outside of projecting a, uh, an NFL quarterback. Okay. So I pretty much was going to pivot to this. What, because you've been covering the curve for so long and you mentioned like the top hundred players in the history. Um, I feel like we're going to get really honest here from you. What are your thoughts on the talent coming up or currently in the system that you've been seeing with compared to some other seasons, potentially like leading up to that, the playoff run in 2013, 2015, the past two years, the talent has been exceptional. There's okay. a lot. Of, there is, is a lot. Not of how I thought this was going to go. Go yeah, ahead. <laughs> you, there's a lot. There is a lot of reason for Pirates fans to look at the past couple of years and, and think, okay, the, the, this this could be. Now, look, I've gone through this before in 04 and 05 and 06. There was a great deal of talent coming up in AAA, and then in six, seven, eight, there was McCutcheon and Neil Walker and Steve Pierce. And it took until 2013. What I'm going to tell you is, fine, there is a lot of talent coming. That doesn't mean the Pirates are going to, are going to have a winning record for the next three or four years because it takes time. And then are they going to go sign any free agents or anybody like that? But what we've seen here over the last couple of years 
with not only the homegrown prospects, but the guys that they brought over in the trades. This has been as good of a two-year run of talent. Obviously, when you're talking about O'Neill Cruz and Rolandi Contreras, uh, that, th those are elite-level guys. So we've seen that level of talent for the last two years. I think there's going to be a pretty significant drop-off here for the next year or two. I don't think we're going to see what we've seen for the last two years. I don't think we're going to see that here for a little while. Um, and that's not necessarily a huge knock on what we're going to see coming up in as much as it is these last two years, we we've seen a, a significant uh, level of player. Yeah. All right. Ed, anything that you wanted to add in there? I think we covered just about everything there. Yeah. They do have a new manager in Altoona. Um, uh, Crab, Calix Crab, came up from uh, Greensboro last year, where he managed for one year. Mm -hmm. Have you gotten a chance to talk to him yet? I have not. I we I used to go to spring training and cover cover the uh, curve in spring training for a couple weeks. And uh, the the media industry has changed substantially nowadays. Places don't pay for you to go cover spring training anymore. Uh, we did that for like fifteen years. My wife and I did so. Uh, we don't do that. So I usually wait till they come up to Altoona to try to build a rapport with some of these folks. Uh, I've heard a lot of good stuff about crab. We've had a lot of good managers here over the years, really, really good managers. And uh, I would say that's one thing the pirates have done exceptionally well is um, find locate and, and develop minor league managers. I, I've been really impressed really for 20 plus years with the quality of managers we've seen in Altoona. Wow. Well, good to hear that the team is going to be in good hands and hopefully the talent at least stays solid for this season. So uh, appreciate it very much. Uh, Corey, thank you for jumping on to talk her with us. You guys, I appreciate it. Anytime. That wraps it up for all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast. Thank you to our guest, Corey Geiger, for his blunt honesty this episode. You can find him on Twitter at Corey Geiger. Find his work with the Altoona Mirror and on DK Pittsburgh Sports. You can follow me, of course, on Twitter at 412 Double Play. Follow Ed at Ed underscore Wassel. Continue listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever else you tune in. From all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast, thank you for joining us, and let's go Bucks. Let's go Bucks.